Bill Springman has spent most of his adult life in baseball as a player and coach on the high school, college, and professional level. and is currently a minor league hitting instructor for the Detroit Tigers. Near the end of the season last year, he would get a call about his college baseball playing son, Slater, that would change the course of their lives. What do you do when even the specialists don't know what to do to save your own son except to pray? The moving story of Bill Springman and what his family has gone through since August 27th of 2018 is coming up on Suit Up. This is Mitch Wilburn, preaching minister at the Park Church of Christ, proud sponsor of Suit Up. I'd like to extend an invitation to you to join us for worship at the Park. We're a Bible-based church that loves the Lord and loves people. We have one service on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., and that's followed by classes for everyone from newborn to 100 years of age. The park sits on a rather large lot near the corner of Garnett and the Creek Turnpike and offers a Sunday evening service at 6 p.m. and Wednesday night we meet at 7 p.m. Our youth have their own building with multiple men and women leading them and our kids age 1 to 5th grade have their own educational wing that even has its own working carousel and ice cream parlor. And I love both. Kevin, the host of this podcast, is in charge of our sports ministry that goes on all year round with basketball, volleyball, softball, great activities. So come see us at the park on the corner of Garnet and the Creek Turnpike or check us out on the web at parkplaza.org. Tell me about growing up in California. I grew up on the beach. I was a beach bum, you know, surf guy, you know. Uh, I lived about a minute from the, the water. We had a small apartment. Uh, and I'd get my skateboard and skateboard down to the you know, after football practice and, and as we call it out there, carve up the waves a little bit till sunset and then walk back home. So it was a great lifestyle. Uh, right now, I could not afford to live at the head town I grew up in. <laughs> but back when we were growing up there, it could have been Okmulgee. We had no idea. Yeah. It was San Clemente. I mean, it was a beautiful town. But that's just where we grew up. Were you there all through high school? You know, yes, sir. Um, my mother's father was one of the first 300 people in San Clemente. Which is which is kind of unique. My father got out there. He's a Texan in Colleen, Texas, diehard cowboy, Longhorn guy, bless his heart. Um, but grew up on Longhorns, you know, had to, and the Cowboys had to. But uh, he was in the World War II, and he fought on two islands, Tarawa and Saipan. They've talked about it. One of those old, oldest generation guys, greatest generation. But he got to boot camp in San Diego, and the weather's unbelievable out there, Kevin. You've been out there. It's, 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 it's like manufactured weather. It really is. When I go back, I'm just stunned how nice it is still. But he said, if I ever get back from this gall darn thing, um, I'm live out here. And he moved to San Clemente after the war. So that's how I met my mother out there living at the beach. And uh, she's a lifer, a California person. So the Texan and the California one got together, and here I am. So you, you talked about, you mentioned football practice. Um, usually guys who are really good athletes that play on the kind of level that you played on, which we'll get to here in a minute, usually play other sports and usually are pretty good at those other sports too. So tell me about uh, where the love of baseball uh, came in and, and was baseball your first love? Back in those days, um, you could play three sports mm -hmm. because the other season didn't start and there was less people, obviously, even in California. So I played football from Pop Warner all the way up. So we played Pop Warner football, and after that was over, uh, baseball started. American Legion, we played that, but it was all in the summertime. 
that's what baseball was. You played your spring for your school sport, but it was but your summer was baseball. When did baseball kind of separate itself from the other sports that you played, where that was the one that you gravitated towards to play college? That's an insightful question, only because. I went to a smaller school in Southern California. Um, I was like a big fish in a little pond, and I could play all those sports. And I happened to be all state in three sports. I played basketball, too. But to answer your question, I, I had scholarships in football to UCLA, to uh, Florida State, Long Beach, uh, Montana, Oregon State, and basketball scholarships. And I had baseball, Arizona State, USC, at high school. But... To give it to your question, I was a quarterback. I played football and baseball. I couldn't make up my mind. And back back then, it's, it was different. Uh, junior college was was very vital. I mean, it wasn't looked at like it is today. Well, I'm going to go to JUCO if I can't go to four. You know, back then, it was going to junior college was, uh, by the way, I never heard the word JUCO until I got back here. We call it junior college. Now it's community college, but I get it, JUCO. Um, makes more sense. But so my dad had me go to Saddleback Community College and I played quarterback and played shortstop. And then I transferred to answer your question. I transferred to Cal State Florida and wanted me for baseball, great baseball school back mm-hmm. then. And so they asked me to play summer baseball for their summer team, which I did. It was a combination between Cerritos Junior College, which was the number one JC in the state and Cal State Florida players. Long story short, I ended up going to, to Cerritos. Planned on playing football and baseball at Cerritos. Well, when I saw the baseball program, they had like 200 guys out for baseball. And the coach told me, he says, hey, you know, there's 10 shortstops, you know, uh, eight third basemen. So I, I made a made a, a one-week decision say, i, I got to pick a sport here. That was the first time, Kevin, I had to pick a sport. Mm-hmm. That was my sophomore year of junior college at Cerritos Junior College in Norwalk, California. Why, why baseball? Football, there's nothing like a victory in football. Because very day, I can tell you distinctly, there's nothing like a victory. If I had one victory left in my life, it'd be Florida. Well, because you have a limited number of games. You you play as many games in, in, in baseball as you would in football in two weeks. Yeah, you're right. And so limited number, the grind you grow through, the the two a days, three a days, the the camaraderie you have, the, it's just a it's just a it's a gladiator sport. It's a tough sport. So the victory you can all celebrate because boy, it is a team sport. Let me tell you. Uh, baseball, you're on an island out there, but but uh, baseball, I I could run real fast. I, even back then, I ran a four five forty in full pads football. That was in seventy five. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty quick. So I ran really well. I had power. I had a good arm. Uh, I think all my attributes played better in baseball. And of course, my dad felt that way as well. So back then, dads had a lot more say than they do now. <laughs> so even when I was 21 going to Old Roberts University, my dad made that decision. So, but, but that's kind of how it came out. And the reason I'm asking that, because uh, as, as we continue this interview, we'll talk about um, your professional life here, because as you went to, as you mentioned, ORU, became an All-American at ORU, uh, led the team to the College World Series, drafted in Major League Baseball. This deep feeling that you started to develop for the game and this and, for, and this love 
of the game uh, that you would pass on to your son Slater. Mm -hmm. And obviously baseball would come into play many years later. And we'll get to that story. When did your relationship, a relationship with God come into play? My father was a construction after the World War II. The general, he was one of two general contractors in the Orange County area down there, which was way back in the day. He was he was a very, very hardcore disciplinarian guy, very, very structured guy, very, you know, uh, great builder, great, uh, great man of, of work integrity. And so growing up, you know, uh, and, and all that, I idolized my father. He was imperfect like we all are, uh, but he's a preacher. He preached uh, on the side for nine years in a small church in Dana Point, California. Mm-hmm. Me and my brother were playing airplanes in the front row as a kid. Well, my dad excused himself from the pulpit, took us outside, whipped us, and brought us back in. You could do it back in those days. <laughs> now, a lot of the older ladies in the congregation didn't like that. Uh, but back in those days, everything was kind of fair game. And so we were raised in the church. And then when I had left Saddleback College, which was hometown community college, I went to Cerritos. And I experienced some things at Cerritos, uh, you know, um, that I hadn't experienced really much in the small town of San Clemente, a little buffer down there. So I was in a lot of, a lot of different people, influence. So, you know, I, I experienced some things there. And the reason Oral Roberts came into play, I never heard of Oral Roberts. I've never heard of the man, but I never knew that at university. And Larry Koschel was a coach in California. It was recruiting me to a small college out there, which I didn't want to go to really. And then um, I was set on going to USC, but they offered me everything except $5,000. Now, USC back in those days was winning national championships like even chewing gum. I mean, it was unbelievable. So I begged my dad. I begged him, please, that SC. Well, it cost $5,000, which was a good score. I mean, I was getting like 20000 but dad couldn't afford five. He couldn't afford $500. So that broke my heart. But then the coach called from, from this Oral Roberts University, and he was bringing 14 California guys back. And in Jail Johnson Stadium, they were building that $3.2 million, which back then was like $30 million. And so we thought, what? And, and, and the coach said that the key thing for my dad, he said, you come with the dollar in your pocket, you'll leave with the dollar in your pocket. So full ride, everything, boom. So dad said, you're going there. That wasn't a choice. It was my, my aunt. But the other thing, too, my dad grew up in Texas. said, look, son, it's Oklahoma. There's the greatest people there because I'm from Texas. He, he said, you got to go back to some that place and be around some great people and be around Christian people again, too. Because I had got off the, the, the wayward son a little bit. I was a particle son for a little while um, there. So I, I uh, went to Old Roberts University, and that's how I got there. And, I, and as a matter of fact, when I first was driving to school, I was driving down to Lewis, and I looked over and saw this thing, and I thought there was a state fair. You know, I didn't know it was a school. Mm. I drove right past it twice. I didn't know it was a college. <laughs> so, but that's how I got back to Old Roberts University. So tell us about how you met Rex. Well, I went to, uh, I looked up um, the local you know, churches. And, and uh, so uh, the per- person at Oral Roberts said, you know, back in those days now, in the late 70s, they had buses going to different charismatic churches, you know. So I got back here and I was waiting on the, on, they said the, the buses come by to take you to, to the church. So I come by and here's one church go by and another church go by and, and all, all charismatic, very good churches. Mm-hmm. I didn't see a Church of Christ bus in those days. 
So we all know you won't see one of those come by here. You know? So I got in my old car and I went to the closest Church of Christ, which is Park Plaza Church of Christ, which happened to be my father-in-law to be, happened to help uh, build that, design the church way back in the day. Mm-hmm. So I got there. Um, uh, people in Oklahoma just are unbelievable. They're so nice, so caring. So I, I, I get in there and after church, a lady comes up to me and says, oh, are you new at church here? You know, yes, ma'am. That's first. First day here, you know, and, and I had to say, yes, ma'am, no, sir. My dad would have killed if I didn't. So I had that, you know, going for me. And uh, she was, well, I have two daughters, you know. Now, Mrs. Reynolds was the kindest, sweetest, lovely lady there was. But she she had a little bit of a weight issue. And, and bless her heart, she loved to cook. And she must have tested a lot of her food, which is very good. So I can't blame her. But she was you know, a rather large one. And so when she told me she had two daughters, I said, yeah, I bet you do, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't give it much thought. Uh, the next week, as they do at churches out here, one of the couples asked me over for lunch, which is very strange. But I liked it. And I was a you know single guy and didn't have much money. Uh, the, name, the name was a Stalkup. So never forget Steve, Steve and um, her Stalkup. And so they asked if I met any girls or anything. I said, no, not really. You know, I said, I met a Mrs. Reynolds who said she had two daughters, you know, uh, I don't remember their names or anything. Oh, yeah, Rixian and Patty, you know. Mm-hmm. And so she goes, here's a here's a um, directory. And so I looked in that directory and holy cow, both Rixian and Patty, prettiest girls I've ever seen. <laughs> Unbelievable. And um, so, uh, and of course, they both had boyfriends and Rixian had a boyfriend because she was, you know, both of them were just gorgeous, but but Rexanne, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, she had a lot of uh, opportunity with, with different guys, as Patty did. So she had a boyfriend. She came to church a couple times with a boyfriend. So it was no good. First year, we didn't get together. Mm-hmm. So the second year, I finally got enough nerve. I could I could actually talk back then without stuttering. So we uh, we had a date, and then uh, uh, the rest was kind of history. But uh, uh, she, she was is the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. And I had no shot. I mean, I look in the mirror, Kevin. I, I know what I, I know what it looked like. I had no shot. But I, you know what? For some reason, it, it God thing. God directed me to that university. God directed me to that church. And God directed both Rexanne and I together. And I believe that with all my heart because that's not what I would have chosen. I chosen USC. You know, right. But that's the God thing. So that's how I got to meet Rex. And it wasn't easy. That's that's the quick. That's the the crib note version. But there's a lot of things going on. We finally got together. Yeah. So um, two daughters, two daughters come after. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Slater. Slater was the, Slater was the, the first. Um, we we tried for 17 years to have children, and it was just very tough. We just couldn't couldn't have that. We, you know, we could make great embryos and things like that, and that was back when in vitro fertilization and those things were just in its infancy. And so we tried so hard to have so many, you know, in vitro fertilizations and in that kind of way. But but so finally we we put in for adoption, and. This was a big God thing. Uh, uh, it was only a month or two, and some couple in Arizona, a married couple, had two young kids and and uh, had a third on the way, Slater. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they were baseball fans. And so the picture I put on our resume was in front of Dodger Stadium, Rexanne and I. And so they picked us, and we went out there, and nicest, nice couple, and everything. So we get so Rexanne was in the delivery room, and and uh, uh, she saw Slater born. And I was the first one to hold him, and uh, 
he's been, you know, and so once we had Slater, uh, we tried in vitro probably eight to 10 times, Kevin, which cost a fortune back in those days and insurance didn't pay for it. And then Rex Sands said, I'm going to try it again in vitro. And boom, we had Sheridan. Tried it again, boom, we had Sutton. So, so the girls, even though Sheridan was a six-year frozen embryo and Sutton was a nine-year frozen embryo, oldest on record, we had TV, TV cameras and uh, I mean TV uh, programs and newspaper print wanted to do a big, big thing on Sutton because nine-year frozen embryo. You know, oldest embryo ever conceived. But we didn't want that stuff. You know, we were God gave us those children. But Slater was the miracle. He was the miracle, Kevin. And matter of fact, I told him that just today. I said, son, you've been a miracle since day one. You're a miracle to me as a father. I got the best son I ever wanted. And then when Rexanne was pregnant, Kevin, I prayed to God to have girls because I had my son. I had my Slater. And and um uh, he's been my best friend. I'm not saying I'm his best friend, but he's, he's my best friend. So he, he's been a miracle since he was born. So um, let's backtrack to now after college, uh, baseball becomes your profession. Mm-hmm. And on, on, on several different levels, not only as a professional player, uh, but then also uh, coaching in college, coaching in high school, uh, kind of walk through uh, some of those years and, and how, how your professional life, you know, changed and went different directions along the way. I was, I was very fortunate, Kevin, uh, the, the junior college coach at Cerritos Junior College, which I mentioned I went to the second time, he was the guru of coaches around the country. Uh, he passed away a few years back, but Wally Kincaid has more, his coaching tree has more division one top coaches than anybody. He opened my eyes to the game. I still remember everything about his practices and that was years ago. So I was very fortunate to be around, uh, uh, Pat Harrison was a great coach at Oral Roberts, Larry Cochelle, uh, there, uh, Ina Seymour, after I played professional baseball here, I went and played one year in Europe and Italy. And Rex and I got experience. That was great. And I came back and I was finishing my degree at Oral Roberts. And then Ina Seymour, we played at Oklahoma University. They came to town to play. And I, met, I remember Coach Seymour, he remembered me as a player. And Coach Seymour said, hey, I'm losing uh, a coach next year. Do you want a job? Wow, an actual job that pays money <laughs> as insurance? You know, what's the catch? So and it was University of Oklahoma. And so uh, I, I took that. And that started my, my coaching career. So I coached college, uh, Pepperdine University. Uh, got a, our team won a national championship in 92, which was a great thing. But you beat Cal State Florida in 3-2 in the championship. That was fun. Um, and then uh, I got an offer in professional baseball. And I, I got to coach from 97 to 2000. I got to coach uh, David Big Poppy Ortiz, Tori Hunter, A.J. Przinsky, Minkiewicz, Jock Jones. I could go to the list. That's the reason I'm here today. Um, I didn't help those guys. I just didn't mess them up. And there was an art to that, too. You know, sometimes the best coaching is no coaching. So I know coached my way for four years and did really well there because I had, we had great players. And then came the crucial time when my children were – at an age where they weren't as young anymore. They kind of knew a day was a day and a week was a week. And Wally Kincaid, my coach at Cerritos, I called him up because I respected him. And of course, I had many other coaching friends, Don Snedden from Santa Ana College in California. I was very fortunate, Kevin, to be around some very, very good men and great baseball men too. So I asked him about that. And, and uh, one thing, one coach Kincaid said one thing. He said, 
I did, did the wrong thing. I had two children, two boys and a girl. I spent so much time in baseball, I didn't know him. And this very day, I'm real close friends with his youngest son, Mike Kincaid, and he calls his dad Wally. He calls him Coach or Wally, my dad. He loves him, but he was Coach. He was Wally. He was dad. His name was Wallace Kincaid. Called Wally. So, you know what? I made the decision. Oh, then, I, then I talked to a counselor at Union High School. Uh, she was uh, a real neatly that I knew from church, too. And I asked her about the situation. She said, well, you know, I was a counselor for um, uh, troubled girls for 18 years. I said, really? And she goes, she goes, you know, the number one reason that girls back then had trouble is a lack of a father influence. She told me that years ago. And boom, Kevin, that hit home. I did not want to be a coach. I want to be a dad. And so that's when, um, uh, kind of funny thing, like a phone call came from Benny Dixon, uh, AD, athletic director at Union High School, and said, we need a baseball coach next year. And they flew up. I was in Omaha coaching against the Omaha Royals back in those days. I was from, I was from Salt Lake City, and they flew up. Uh, uh, Mr. John Boyce from Airco, and then uh, Dave Stauffer, the principal, they flew up in a plane from high school, saw me and met me for three hours. And um, uh, I said, I can't, I can't do it now. I can do it after the season. So after the season, I accepted the job and did Union High School for five years and got to be home uh, and enjoy relationships uh, that I've had there ever since. Sean Newkirk, who is the new head coach there now, has won, I think, four of his own state titles, three or four of his own, and uh, proud of him. I'm proud of the boy. I, I really enjoyed that that time. So, and I got to see my kids. I got to be a dad because they all told me that will never come again, yeah. ever come again. So, it was the dumbest move, career move, because I was in the big leagues in 2000, in Minnesota, and I had a big league career. I'd be sitting right here, retired right now, um, not talking to you, Kevin. But I love you. <laughs> I'm retired, but but you know what? You can't get that time back. And I am so thankful that those coaches told me that, and that, that, that counselor told me that from me in high school, that, so I want to be a father, I want to be a good father, and, and uh, my dad was a good dad, my mom was a great mom, and, and uh, that's, that's the thing I'm most proud of, is being a, being a parent. Was there a lot of hitting your knees at that time, you know, in prayer about what to do, and, because um, I, I will tell you personally, uh, that even, you know, after I got married, which, you know, Suzanne helped me become a better. She's beautiful, by the way. You remember your skis like I am. I absolutely. Just want to put one record. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, I wasn't as prayerful uh, then as I am now, for sure. Um, and, and so I think there were a lot of decisions that I was making without consulting what where it was that God wanted me to be. Uh, now, Suzanne, and I suspect Rexanne probably uh, in, in your life encouraged you guys to do that, but, but maybe not. Uh, so tell me, tell me how your faith uh, was woven into all those decisions. Yes, you know, having grown up in the church and then, and having my prodigal son years and then getting, getting back to Oral Roberts and uh, the people at Oral Roberts were just just phenomenal. I mean, uh, every one of our players now, now, um, I think, I think Larry Cochelle was, was a little bit, he took a page out of Jesus Christ's, uh, uh, book about hiring, you know, hiring apostles or players. He didn't get the nicest guys. <laughs> so we weren't, we weren't saints by any means. I love the guys, but you know what, Kevin, I can honestly tell you, everybody 
all my friends that have come through all Roberts University as as lewd, crude, and rude as they might have been back in the day, mm-hmm. they all have a belief in God. All Roberts University and the people there had an impact on on, on our lives. Uh, so so yeah, getting back to prayers. So I prayed hard because man. I love pro ball, Kevin. I mean, who could not love it? They give you free shoes, free Oakleys, free. The, I mean, it's free stuff. You don't you don't realize that they're doing that because you can do something for them. Right. I learned quick. There's no free lunches, but but I was a I was a slow learner, but I learned. But it's very addicting. Yeah. It's a drug. Uh, it's uh, big crowds. Uh, who wouldn't Who wouldn't love to? You know, Tory Hunter calls me when he's in the big leagues. Hey, Spring, and you watch me tonight and see what I'm doing wrong. And I mean, th- that's a very interesting thing. And so it's a very visible job. Uh, it becomes a job. It's a visible job. Uh, I'm not saying it's correct or right, but it's just the way it is. People love sports. Uh, back to Bay Dixon, he always said, remember, on TV at night, there's news, weather, sports. They keep sports last so you can see them. And that's true. <laughs> he was smart about that. So I prayed so hard and I talked to Rexanne and, and you know, I, I, I did. I, that's probably as hard as I prayed up until that time in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, then even was harder. Once I made the decision, I had the Boston Red Sox call me uh, and double my salary, double my salary. You know, it was like, holy, it was like Harry Potter from, you know, uh, uh, Wonderful Life. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, but but looked at my kids' eyes and had them love daddy and, you know, and Slater and Rexanne being home. I It just it was the hardest decision of my life, but it was the best decision. Let's fast forward to last August. You're wrapping up the season with the Twins. Uh, the Tigers. I was sorry, the Tigers. And you get a call about Slater. Where were you when you got, I'm assuming, a phone call or a text? And what immediately happened for you? Let me back up one one little small step. In, in 2006... When I was the hitting coordinator, Bissler Twins, my boss, Joe Level, great guy. We both came at the same time. He was the field coordinator. He called me at midnight. It was September 22nd, 2006. He called me at midnight. Of course, when I'm asleep, you got to get up at five in the morning. So he says, hey, Spring, you're asleep. I said, yeah, what's going on? He goes, can I, can I come see you? I said, well, sure, Lev, come on over, you know. He knocked the door, opened the door. He looked, right, he looked me right in the eye, Kevin, and said, my daughter, Taylor, 16 years old, just got killed in a car accident. He was in shock, of course. So long story short, so I spent the whole entire night with him, you know, listening to his wife scream and cry and lost her child. And that was the most excruciating thing I've ever been involved with. And Joe Lippel, who is one of the most nicest guys in the world, strong Christian man, he was in shock. So I got him a flight, took him to the airport, did the whole thing with him. So I have prayed, Kevin, ever since September 22nd, 2006, I have faithfully and religiously prayed to Almighty God, without ceasing, please, the health of my children, paramount, please, without ceasing. I come after the game, August 27th, after the game, I leave, I leave my cell phone up in the, the deal because you can't be bugged during that time. I get my cell phone, and instead of a call, it was, it was text saying, praying for Slater, praying for Slater. And I'm thinking, I wonder why they're praying for, maybe because it's a new school that Fred Hardeman he went transferred to, and mm-hmm. good luck in school, good luck in baseball, good luck in academics, good luck in uh, whatever. Well, then I called, Rick, and then Patty, uh, Rexanne's sister, said, Bill, what happened? We're trying to get hold of you. Call real quick. So I called Rexanne, and I found out that Slater was emergency, uh, emergency ambulance to the hospital. He had heat stroke and was in a coma. 
That's all I knew. And I went back to my, and sat on my, my couch and just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. I couldn't talk. And my pitching coach, Carlos Borges, this one, good, good buddy of mine, we lived together. He gave me a, he gave me a ride to the airport at 2.30 in the morning. I had a 6 a.m. flight from Providence, Rhode Island, to, uh, to Nashville, and drove from Nashville to Jackson, Tennessee, which is north of Henderson, where the hospital was. Mm-hmm. And so I got there, and then I look in there, and I, I, and I see my son just, just hooked up to everything, Kevin and I. It, it was the hardest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, because uh, the one thing I prayed to God d- distinctly for was, was health of my wife and my children. I'm a dirtbag, nail me, but, but please. And here all of a sudden, my only son who God gave me, he's not looking good. And I understand, I understand the heat stroke. I've seen the, how many hundreds of hundreds have died from heat stroke and this thing called rhabdomyolosis. Well, my son had it. And I, he only had it. He had the worst case of anybody on record. And so they didn't give him, you know, two shakes and a holler. At all, and the doctors. Um, what were you being told when you arrived? When we arrived, they had to induce coma because he's having seizures too. Uh, he had severe heat stroke. It's turned into uh, they did they did these blood tests, and um, uh, there's these they call them CPK numbers or CK numbers. It's called it's creatine phosphate kinase, but it doesn't mean anything to us. But CPK CK numbers. The CK numbers in the bloodstream is the junk in your blood, the, the loss of skeletal muscle in the blood. Well, it's like golf. The higher the score, the worse it is. Mm-hmm. And so he came in, you and I, Kevin, roughly have a, a 200 CK level in our blood. His was 250,000, which is really bad. They had never seen 100,000 before. Mm-hmm. These are experienced 30, 30, 40 year doctors that said, we've never seen 100,000. So until that CPK or CK number drops. In other words, until the blood starts cleaning up, it's extremely grave. It went from 100,000, I mean 250, to 450, to 550, to 750, to 850, to 950, to 950. Was this over a matter of, of hours or Eight days? days? Each day it jumped up 100,000, each day. More, 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 the rhabdomyolosis, just chews and eats away skeletal muscle. Mm-hmm. So he was losing and it flooded his kidneys. They stopped, livers, everything just stops. The whole body just stops. Uh, how God makes the body though, okay, what's a miracle is that as bad as rhabdomyolosis is, it only affects skeletal muscle. God in his infinite wisdom has a protective device where it doesn't attack cardiac muscle or lung, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And they can't figure out why. That's God. And so that was the blessing. I mean, young, I mean, in good, good shape. So finally, the tenth day, I think the tenth day, we came in, and everybody was around Slater, and uh, and they said it went from to a million, then went back down to like eight hundred eighty thousand. Now you'd think eight hundred eighty thousand, you'd freak out. We were like cheering. This is mm-hmm. everybody was hugging and crying and loving each other. It's because it peaked. So once we peaked we had a small shot, right? You know, we didn't know how small, but that was big. But, but, uh, looking back now, uh, that was probably the best news I've ever got in my life, but as great as it was, Rexy and I spent 120 days at the hospital. And by the way, uh, uh Patty Huey and Patty spent, I think 40 days in Jackson with us. 
Robin Birch, the angel, I call the angel. She spent the time with uh, Jackson Street Church of Christ, gave us a house over there. So we were there for a long time, and he was in, and he was three weeks in, in coma. Here's the interesting thing, Kevin. There's a private room off the side, and he had five specialists. He was that severe. He had five specialists. They called her the best guys they could, the A-team. And each member of the A-team met with Rex Ann and I in that private room individually. And we asked the question with Rex Ann and I, what's next? What are you going to do? What can we do? And each one separately, Kevin, at different times of the day, next couple of days, said there's nothing that we can do. We have exhausted everything that we can do. This is way out of our comfort zone and range. A couple of doctors said, I've called everybody from Australia to whatever about this situation. She goes, and each doctor, here's a big thing, Kim, each doctor said, pray. My first reaction, Kevin, was, that's all you got? Is that all you got, prayer? You're telling me to pray? I mean, where's the miracle? Where's the, where's the, where's the drugs? Where's the, I mean, come on. It's a hospital for, it's 2018. You know, so he said, pray. And so obviously Rexanne and I, she got it quicker than I did, me being slow, that, wow, okay, prayer is the only thing that's going to save our son, not from our eyes, but from the doctor's eyes, mm -hmm. the specialist's eyes. And, and you know, I, think, I think most of the men were Christian men, but it wasn't like they were just, you know, they weren't flipping about it. I pray. They said, we need to pray. This is praying time. And, and all of them prayed with us. So it was like, I mean, so we need prayer. So that's when, uh, I, I forgot, Shannon Wilbur was there the first four days. And she was an angel of God's sin. She got the Facebook thing started. Robin Birch picked it up. And Rick Sand, it, it, was, a, it was a great team. Uh, Shannon had to leave. Uh, her Mitch had to go, go. And she hated to leave, but, it was a, it, but she was an angel. I, I can't thank those people enough. And I think about them every, every day, all day. But so once Rick Sand and I decided, if prayer is the only thing that's going to save our son, then let's not let's not be short on prayer. And that's when it went viral, not just in this country, across the world. And, and he had 25 cards a day uh, from people from all over the world praying. And the Facebook people prayed at 9,000, 10,000 followers and the, the, the Park Church of Christ, uh, the churches uh, all over. I have a good friend. I won't mention his name because I love him dearly. But the Tigers all prayed. The Twins all prayed. The Royals all prayed. Um, OU all, OU football prayed. OU, yeah, I mean, the University of Oklahoma softball team. Softball. They came by, yeah. And matter yeah. of fact, he's throwing the first pitch out this Saturday. Oh, that's awesome. It's the OU softball game. Yeah, they were been, but it, it, it went viral because, because, and I, and like I told you, Kevin, I, I've told you point blank. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your prayers. And I mean it. I cherish and thank you for your individual prayers because how many did we need? Everyone. We need everyone, Kevin. Yours was as important to me um, as, you know, St. Peter's uh, because we needed every prayer. I would grab people in the hallway. I met some really neat people uh, um, of all different races and creeds. And, and there, there were Christians. And I said, do you mind coming in and pray for my son for a minute? Oh, no, because you know what? That's what they said. That was the medicine. So you talk about not being shy about prayer. I could care less where you're from, what's your background, I care, you pray. 
as you mentioned being at Union. I remember the last state championship you won. I did the play-by-play on the radio for yeah, that, that, for that yeah. game yeah. Uh, on the sports animal. Uh, and we've been going to church together ever since. And so I've known you for 15 years. Mm-hmm. We've never been real close, but uh, we're close enough and going to church and seeing each other enough that you get to know somebody and you, you kind of get a feel for, for who they are. And what I've noticed since all this happened with Slater is that you're a changed man. Mm-hmm. And I think that people who don't know you and hear you talk about prayer the way that you've been talking about prayer in this podcast is that I can vouch for that is that's real. And it's from the heart. Yeah, that, that, that does change. I told Slater when he, when he first woke up, after he could, you know, converse a little bit better, I, I said, son, let's never ask why. Let's just go forward and be progressive because why is too painful. There is no positive alleyway we can hit with the why. Mm-hmm. And so, but but the prayer life, he understood. He even texts. Well, we didn't know he texted for, for the, the first time, but he texts about how prayer important it was, that he knew prayer saved his life. I actually saw a, a miracle uh, that God performed in, in my in my family, my life, because that was it. And and again, you talk about valuing prayer. If someone said Cole's life depends on a prayer, well, let me tell you, it kind of puts it behind a food chain. And you know what the secret sauce is there. It's the reality of you knowing that he can do it. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. And, and I think that's where the avenue gets lost on a lot of people is that it just becomes rhetoric, something to do because you're told that's what you should. I've been that guy, Kevin. I'll pray about it. Yeah. I'll pray for it. You know what? I said that I've been there. I I was the best. I'll pray about it and forget about it. Mm -hmm. But right now I'm, I'm serious with you. I've probably got 180 people on the list. So I do. I take it very serious now because when the specialists on the best specialists we have on this earth can't figure things out, uh, God does, and God's perspective is eternal. We don't we get so caught up down here. I told I told my son, I said, Slater, this is this is God's doing something eternally here. We can't see it, but it is. So prayer has become extremely real. I, if if, you, if I ask, be serious. I wish I didn't have to go through that like it was. But but the great thing is is God is in charge and God is looking out for us. He wants us to go to heaven. He wants to be more in tune. I got to think, Bill, that your relationship with Christ is as good as it's ever been. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and he, I've been blessed because I've had three, four players. Um, um, I think two of them are OU that lost their sons. And I've had two bosses that lost their, their daughters or children. So I've been very close. You talk about that valley going down? That's a valley that is the most difficult thing for a parent to go through. And I, I had, Rexanne and I walked a few feet down that thing. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that God spared me, but I've always prayed. I, one of my biggest prayers is I pray for those that have lost children because, dang, Kevin, that's that's a tough thing. I, and again, I... I I can't tell you how how thankful I am to be in front of you and have my son there. He's alive. He's there. And and um, like I said, he's a miracle, and he's still been a miracle. You know. I saw the video 
I guess it would have been early February when he went back to Freed Hardeman to throw mm. the first pitch. Yeah. And I've told the story to other people that Bill Springman, the former All-American baseball player, major leaguer, Division One coach, major league hitting instructor, if he knew that his baseball playing son was not going to be able to get a ball over the plate from 50 <laughs> feet away, you would have shaken your head in disgust. Yeah. But the smile on your face in that video when he threw that ball in the dirt was incredible. And I think that that showed how your love for your son and your appreciation for everything that he had gone through and that God brought him out of that to where he could stand 50 feet away and throw a ball in the dirt made you as happy as you've ever yeah, been. That was, you know what? That's was funny. I used to always get on him in between innings. If he didn't, if he threw the ball in the dirt, I'd get on him. That was the best story I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but, you know, Rex and I's relationship is so close. She was so, so strong. The girls, uh, Sheridan, who's at Harding now, she called every day about 10 times a day about her brother. Uh, so, so they, they're back to fighting a little bit too, which is good. But, but Sutton and Sheridan, uh, our relationship has been better. Uh, their relationship's better. It's just, it brought everybody so much closer together. It's a heck of a way to go through it. But remember, uh, uh, like I told people, I mean, Christ went through so much stuff. Uh, undeservingly. Have you noticed a change with the organization, with the Tigers, from last year when you left them in August to when you reunited with them here uh, for spring training? Lance Parrish, who was a great catcher for them, won a World Series. He's one of our coaches in the minor leagues. Strong Christian man. Al Avila, our general manager, they all supported, prayed. Lance Parrish wrote me a, I, I have it kept still. Lance Parrish said, Bill, I've been in this organization for 40 years, and this is a high school. And he said, I've never seen the organization come together in prayer like I've seen for Slater. My thanks to Bill for being a part of Suit Up. As of this posting, Slater is scheduled to return to college at Freed Hardeman next year, and he hopes to play baseball again. Thank you for listening. Please download this podcast from podbean.com and don't forget to like us.